Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be together with you once more. Uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, where we're going to continue our study uh, in that minor prophet book. Again, as I said last week, maybe one of the most well-known uh, books of the minor prophets is the book of Jonah. So go ahead and start turning there. Again, if you need to, feel free to uh, go to your table of contents to find the particular page. Uh, the, Jonah's, the book of Jonah is a relatively small book in our Bibles. It's four chapters, maybe a total of, uh, I don't know, 60, 70 verses or whatever. So it's a good chance if you're flipping through trying to find, you'll flip right past it. Uh, but I'm excited to go back into the book of Jonah today. I know we started it last week. I'm excited to go back into it because I think that we're, we're digging into God's message for ourselves even as we peek in on the way in which God is working uh, in this prophet uh, Jonah. So... Uh, while you continue to look, let me pray for our time together, that the Lord will really speak to us, challenge us, grow us, as we always ask him to do, and, and certainly to encourage us uh, through his word. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we do appreciate the ability to come and sit, and, and Lord, we acknowledge, each of us sitting here today, um, considering your word, we acknowledge our need to be confronted by your word, Lord, on a regular basis. And, and Father, you know us. Uh, you know, sometimes we just need to sit and be comforted by the Word of God, but there are other times that we need to be challenged by the Word of God and, and really allow it to kind of search out some areas of our hearts. And so we pray that you would accomplish uh, all that you intend to accomplish through your Word today. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged, challenge us where we need to be challenged, minister to us, Lord, in real deep places in our hearts, and cause us to go from here in a really better place uh, than from when we came in here. And so we give this time to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, during our last study, we looked almost at all of chapter one. We left off uh, in the final verse of chapter one. Uh, and in there, we, we were introduced, just in the first couple of verses, to both who this message was delivered to, that is, which prophet God called to bring this particular message. And then we also considered what that message actually was, who he was supposed to go to, all those kinds of things. And so if you go back and look at verse 1, first page, and look at uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, you'll read this. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, because their evil has come up before me. And so again, as we learned last week, we learned that the prophet, his name is Jonah, that he was to leave his city to go to this place that was called Nineveh, and that the reason that he was to go there is that he might call out against that city because the evil of that city had risen up uh, into the presence of the Lord. He had taken notice of the wickedness of the city of Nineveh. Now, as I pointed out, that ministry did not interest Jonah. It didn't interest Jonah for a variety of possible reasons, but for one reason we know it didn't interest him. And, and I kind of tried to hammer out a little bit what it would be like if we were called. And we might look at that and be like, you know what, I'm not interested in that because it's too big a task. You're talking about a city with hundreds of thousands of people that maybe was 50, 60 miles in circumference. How am I going to go reach that? That's a daunting task. But as we saw, that wasn't the reason why Jonah didn't want to go to these people. We might look at it and say, well, the people of Nineveh, the Assyrians, they're wicked. 
They're evil. They're crazy, really, it seems. And the types of things that they did to people. And so perhaps Jonah might look at it and say, well, it's too dangerous to go there. But again, that is not the reason why the, the book of Jonah presents to us as, as to why he didn't want to go to the people of Nineveh. Plain and simple, Jonah did not want to go to the people of Nineveh, and this message, this mission, this commissioning from God didn't interest Jonah because Jonah did not want to preach a message to the Assyrians which might lead them to repent and would ultimately cause God to receive their repentance and then forgive them. Again, as I tried to point out the last time we were together, Jonah knew that if they repented, that God would forgive them, and Jonah had no interest in seeing the people of Nineveh uh, forgiven of their sin. Again, as I like to say, uh, Jonah saw them as those people. And Jonah didn't feel that those people deserved God's mercy. And of course, in that, Jonah is forgetting a couple of very important things. Number one is nobody deserves God's mercy. And so we might look at our lives and think, well, I'm not so bad. You know, I don't necessarily, why wouldn't God want to forgive a guy like me? But that guy over there, oh my goodness, not worthy of God's mercy. We're forgetting that none of us are worthy of God's mercy. Jonah forgot that. Secondly, Jonah had forgotten that he himself was just as wicked as the people of Nineveh. Maybe not in comparison on an earthly scale, but in comparison to the holiness of God. What's the difference if you're a mile away or five miles away? You're nowhere near to the holiness of God. And Jonah had forgotten that about himself. And so again, he had no interest in fulfilling God's mission. And so rather than going 500 miles to the north and, and inland a bit, he goes 2,000 miles to the west to go pretty much to what they might have thought was the end of the world, all the way down there off the coast of what is today Spain uh, in this little town or this town of Tarshish, 2,000 miles away. He tries to go as far away as he possibly could. Now, if you weren't with us, you might be saying, that sounds like an interesting story. It is really an interesting story. You can go back, you can read it. Uh, Ch Jonah chapter 1, I encourage you to go back, look at it. Uh, familiarize yourself with the events. But here's the kind of the long and short of it. God calls Jonah. Jonah rejects that call, and he does so by getting on this boat that I just mentioned to you. And we that could be it. That could be the end of the story. God said, do this. He said no, and that's the end of it. The reality is the story continues to go on. And it continues because uh, with, I should say, God raising a storm to shake things up a bit in the life of Jonah. And he does so to bring Jonah to the place of returning once more to the Lord. And so if you look at Jonah 1.4, it says, The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship that they were on threatened to break up. But even that, it's interesting, isn't enough yet to convince Jonah that God's ways are the best ways. And so when the mariners come and they confront him for his sin, they ask him what they should do in order to kind of stay the wrath of God. Jonah's response to them is, throw me out into the ocean. Throw me into the sea. It's recorded for us, Jonah chapter 112. He says, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. Because I know, he says, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon us. And again, I, I think what Jonah is saying there is, look, I would rather die then have to go and do what the Lord is asking me to do, to go preach to the people of Nineveh. 
Now, the Mariners, they value Jonah's life more than Jonah values Jonah's life. They initially, it seems, they're reluctant to throw him over. But as the storm gets worse and worse and worse, finally they conclude that, look, we're going to have to throw this guy overboard. And so they throw Jonah overboard. They ask the Lord for his pardon, essentially. Don't be angry with us for killing, essentially, one of your prophets. And just as Jonah said would happen, he gets thrown into the sea. And as we read there in verse 15, it says, the sea ceased from its raging. Now, the mariner's problem, the sailor's problem was solved, essentially, the, the sea calmed down, and they can go on and do whatever it was they needed to do. I imagine return to the port from which they came. But in many ways, Jonah's difficulties, they're just getting started. And so the sea ceased from raging. That allowed the mariners to sail off, whether it's a sunset or the sunrise, whatever it might be. That allows them to sail off and go on their own. Jonah, however, is still bobbing around in the midst of the sea. And we don't know how long he actually is bobbing around in the middle of the sea. We don't know how far out in the sea they actually are. Now that brings us to where we left off last week with Jonah bobbing up and down in the midst of the Mediterranean Sea. And as I just said, the text doesn't say how long he's been doing so. Look at verse 15, and then we're going to skip right to verse 17 for a second. It says this, so they picked up Jonah, this is chapter 1, they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Now verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights. Now, did this great fish, which is spoken of in verse 17, did it come along and swallow Jonah up two seconds after he was thrown into the water? I don't think it did. It did. And the reason why I don't think so, it seems to me that if that occurred, that the reaction of the mariners would have been recorded for us. It seems to me that the mariners kind of sailed off. It seems to me that the sea has now become essentially calm, relatively calm, and that Jonah is left there in the water, maybe even left there for a period of days, and then there's this great fish, which it says in the verse, verse 17, that is appointed by the Lord that comes along and swallows up Jonah. And that Jonah remains alive in the belly of that great, great fish, as it says, for three days and three nights. Now, if you're not familiar with this story, you might be thinking, wait a minute, what? You mean to tell me that you believe that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish, that he remained in that fish three days and three nights, and then he lived to tell about it? If you're asking that question, that's exactly what I believe. And I think I'm in pretty good company as far as that belief is concerned because that's exactly what Jesus believed in the New Testament. And it's what Jesus referenced as an historical uh, fact on two different occasions in the New Testament. One time in Matthew chapter 12 and another time in Matthew chapter 16. Now, I'm fully aware that there are Bible scholars, quote-unquote, and there are Bible scoffers, quote-unquote, that dismiss the book of Jonah. And they dismiss it as if it were a fanciful bedtime story. But I, what I see is this. Jesus accepted it as a historical fact. And so Jesus was either naive, and so he, of course he accepted it as a historical fact because he's just a naive guy from 2,000 years ago, or our modern-day Bible scholars and scoffers are mistaken. I'll let you decide who you think, whose side you want to put yourself on. 
But Jesus saw this, he referred to it as an historical event that occurred to an historical individual, this man Jonah. And in fact, Jesus will use the example of Jonah's time in the great fish and he'll point to it as sort of this prophetic type of picture of what will become his own experience following his crucifixion. And so this is recorded for us in Matthew 12. Jesus said, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so again, Jesus accepted Jonah as an historical character, and he affirmed Jonah's experience as an historical event. And then he used that to point to it as a type of his own uh, crucifixion, death, and resurrection. I agree with Henry Ironside, who declared this. He says, no thoughtful and conscientious child of God could think of questioning the inspiration of the book of Jonah, upon which the Lord Jesus himself had set his seal in the particular way that he has this one. So I believe that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish and that he was swallowed, or that he survived that ordeal because the scripture presents that as happening and also because Jesus accepted it as happening. I'm also buoyed by the reality that such circumstances are not without extra biblical historical precedent. Now again, I don't believe the scripture because some scientist or some historian somewhere told me that I can with some historical example. I believe it, but I would say for the person who doubts these kinds of things, historical precedents, they can help to kind of open up our mind to be ready to receive what the Lord might have for us. And so I'll let you do your own study on the extra biblical historicity of human beings being swallowed by various sea creatures and then living to tell about it. And quite frankly, all you need to do is a simple Google search in which you type in this phrase, can a man live inside of a whale? And it'll bring up scores of responses to that particular question. There is plenty of historical precedent um, for this sort of thing happening, even in a, a more modern context. Now, you, you may have noticed in my statement about the Google search, can a man live inside of a whale? I fully am aware that uh, the Jonah passage refers to this as a great fish. And I'm fully aware that there is a distinction between whales, which are mammals, and fish, which are fish, uh, even if they're really, really big ones. So let me explain why I'm comfortable referring to this as a whale. The Hebrew word that is used here, that is translated fish, can also mean creature or whale. And so the best translation might actually be a sea creature. Jonah was swallowed by a sea creature. One way or the other, whether it was a whale or it was a really, really big fish, one way or the other, it was a sea creature that was large enough to swallow Jonah whole and that it, or he, or it, whatever, it did just that. Now, unfortunately, I said this last week, it's almost a pity that this great fish, this sea creature that is mentioned here has attracted so much attention in our studies of this book. And it's almost a pity because I, you may recall a few years ago, I think it was two years ago, maybe one year ago, 
uh, Will shared a message with us. An entire day, he, he devoted one day to the book of Jonah, and in there, he kept reiterating this phrase, it's not about the fish. And it really is not. The book of Jonah is really not about the great fish. The important thing about the book of Jonah is not what is going on inside of this fish, but rather what is going on inside of Jonah, who in this instance happens to be inside of this fish. And so as we began last week, I pointed out that one of the unique things about the book of Jonah, among all the other books of the minor prophets, is that it's not so much interested in his prophecy as it is in him. Again, in the English language, all we have recorded for us in the book of Jonah, of Jonah's messages, are eight words in the English language, even less in the Hebrew language. So again, the book of Jonah is much more interested in the messenger rather than his particular message. And what we know about God's messenger to date from our study of the book just last week being together, we know that he's not a very good messenger. That's what we've learned so far about Jonah. Remember last week, the title of our sermon was The Disobedient Prophet. Jonah was a rebellious prophet. And he was prepared to die rather than fulfill the call that God had put on his life. But God, however, was not prepared to let that happen. And so Jonah was prepared to die so he wouldn't have to obey this call. But God was not prepared for that to happen. And as we'll see from our study of chapter 2, despite Jonah's rebellion, God was not finished with Jonah yet. And so instead of letting him die out there in the middle of the sea, the Lord actually preserves the life of his disobedient prophet. As I've been pointing out, one of the the key themes, one of the key themes of the book of Jonah is God's mercy. It's a major theme that threads itself throughout the entire book. The second theme, however... Uh, And the important principles that we learn are related to the sovereignty of God. So the mercy of God and the sovereignty of God. The book of Jonah addresses the question, what happens when God wants a person to do something that that person themselves don't want to do? And as we're going to see today, God has a way of bringing a person around to his new way, to his way of thinking a way of bringing us to the place where we want what he wants, even if initially we did not. And that's what God is going to do with Jonah. But in order to do that, Jonah's heart is going to need to be changed. As we've seen, Jonah had allowed his heart to grow hardened toward the people of Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to preach to the people of Nineveh because he knew that if he did, I've said this many times, that if he did and they responded, by repenting, that God would forgive them. And Jonah's heart was so hard to Nineveh that he did not want to see them forgiven. That's not a good place for a servant of God to be. And you know, even now as we're talking about this and considering this, you might be thinking in your life of someone that you despise, someone you hate, someone you have no interest in seeing begin a relationship with God and being forgiven of their particular sins. If that's the current condition of your heart, you want to bring that to the Lord. Jonah needed to have that condition of his heart changed. God's going to need to change it. And the place that God would choose to do that would be in the dark, stifling confines of this great fish's belly. 
Now we continue the account. Look at verse 1, chapter 2. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Now verse 1, notice how it begins. It says, Then Jonah prayed. Now, the word then is a a reference of time. And that brings us back to the most recent reference to time that we have before that particular word and this particular verse begin. And it comes immediately before, which in verse 17, which was three days and three nights. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, and then he prayed to the Lord his God. Now, Jonah may have been a disobedient child of God, but he was still a child of God nonetheless. And whatever his failings, Jonah's a child of God uh, still in this hour of distress. And it's in this hour of distress, as this rebellious child of God, that Jonah, much like the prodigal son, which you read about in the New Testament, comes to his senses. And when he comes to his senses, even in the midst of that belly of the whale, he calls out to the Lord, and it says the Lord heard his voice. Verse 2 of Jonah chapter 2. Now, it, it took him a little while to get there, three days, but he eventually got there. He'd been trying to run from the presence of the Lord. We learned that back in chapter 1, verse 3. But finally... In his distress, he is brought to the place, now notice, of longing for the presence of the Lord. Earlier, he wanted nothing to do with it. Now, he's longing for the presence of the Lord. And it's from that place of longing that he calls out to the Lord. Prior to this ordeal, I said this last week, prior to this ordeal, Jonah likely knew the the words of the psalmist David, who again, he said this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? He likely knew those words, but had forgotten them. Here now we see he knows those words. He really knows those words. I think Jonah could have added to David's psalm there, reverentially. He could have said, look, if I descend into the deep places, even of the great fish, even there you are with me. Jonah had been running from God. For the entirety of this book, he, had, he has been running from God. But after a period of seemingly being abandoned by the Lord, Jonah comes to his senses. He realizes that that's not actually what he wants at all. It's what he thought he wanted, but not what he wants at all. And he cries out to the Lord. Again, God is never going to make us do that which we don't want to do. But he sure does have a way of changing what it is we want to do. And God changes Jonah's desire. And he does so by bringing him to the place of wanting to be away from the Lord to wanting to be right with the Lord. In Jonah's case, that took him three days and three nights. Three days and three nights for him to come to his senses. Some of us watching this, it may take us three weeks, three months, three years, some of us three decades to come to our senses. And the longer it takes, almost always, the the more pain and difficulty that is associated with it. And so for some of us that it's taken three decades to really come to our senses regarding who the Lord is, we realize that's a long time. 
And it involved a lot of pain and a lot of difficulty. And yet, we discover that the Lord will receive us, even after three decades. And so perhaps Jonah spent, well, we know he spent three days. Perhaps he spent those three days sulking before finally deciding to repent. Maybe he thought, man, I have blown it so much. I want to call to God, but I can't. He'll never receive me back. Whatever is going on specifically inside of him and causing him to take three days to get to this particular point, whatever the case is, God finally broke through and he moved upon Jonah's heart. And then he heard the cry of that heart. And so again, we read in verse 2, He says, from the belly of the fish, I called out to the Lord, out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. How wonderful are those words? It says, you have heard my voice. Jonah has now discovered the beauty of God's mercy. The very thing that he was unwilling to show to others, he has now discovered for himself. And he's discovering that the very thing that he thought others were undeserving of was the very thing that he himself so desperately needed. God is using this storm, God has used this storm and all that was associated with it to bring Jonah to the place of understanding. Jonah discovered what I hope every one of us is taking uh, in as a result of this sermon whether we've discovered it a long time ago and we're being reminded of it afresh this morning or we're still kind of wrestling with this idea, what Jonah discovered is that God is gracious and God is merciful, that he is kind and that he is compassionate and that he is ready to forgive and he is eager to respond to his children no matter where they are at or even why or how they have gotten to that particular place. Jonah's discovering that. Now take notice of this. We're going to look a little bit at Jonah's prayer that is recorded for us in chapter 2. Notice where Jonah is praying this prayer, where this prayer is being prayed from. It says in our verse, verse 2, that it's being prayed from inside the belly of the fish. Which means this, Jonah's circumstances hadn't changed But his heart changed in the midst of those circumstances. That's so significant because for many of us, our circumstances aren't going to change. We're still going to have to go to that crummy job. We're still going to have to deal with that chronic illness. We're still going to have to be a part of this particular family, which is difficult uh, to be a part of. Our circumstances may not change, but Jonah's heart changes in the midst of those circumstances. And so he's still in the belly of the fish when he prays this prayer. And so we notice despite his circumstances being unchanged, he still knows that God is hearing his prayer. Again, he says in verse 2, and from there you heard my voice. Jonah's relationship with God had been restored. Isn't that beautiful? Despite his rebellion. And despite his many acts of rebellion, God received him back unto himself and once more into his presence. And so try as Jonah did, he, what he discovers is that he could not easily sever his relationship with God. Again, as I said, God has a way of working in us in such a way to create within us a desire for relationship with him once more. And that's what God does with Jonah. And so Jonah cries out to the Lord. Now let's look a little bit at Jonah's prayer. 
One of the things that you'll notice, the prayer is basically from verse 2 up until about verse 9. One of the things that you will notice in this prayer is that there's not one word of petition in the prayer. Again, as I I said kind of last week, God, you get me out of this fish and I promise I will. There's there's nothing like that. There's no word of petition. And so in verses 2 through 6, we see Jonah giving thanks to God for who he is. In verse 7 and 8, we see him expressing remorse for both his actions and his attitude. And then in verse 9, we see him himself, rededicating himself unto the Lord and unto the Lord's service. But Jonah has no idea what's actually going to happen next. He doesn't actually know. There's been no promise made to him. He hasn't even asked if he'll be getting out of this particular fish. Which means that his expressions of thanksgiving in verses 2 through 6 are not about getting out of the fish, but rather they're about entering once more into God's presence. That's what Jonah is giving thanks for in chapter 2. Because again, he has no idea if he's ever going to get out of this fish or be delivered. So let's read his prayer. We already read verse 2. Continuing in verse 3, it says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters, verse 5, closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now we learn a lot about what Jonah is learning from this particular prayer. And so looking again at verse 3, you'll notice he says, You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Additionally, you'll notice he refers to the waves in that, in that verse and the billows in that verse. He refers to them as God's waves and God's billows, or he says your waves and your billows. What this demonstrates uh, for us first is that Jonah realizes that it was not the sailors that cast him into the sea, but that the Lord himself cast him into the sea. And so again, try as Jonah did to run from the Lord by getting on this ship and going away from the presence of the Lord, Jonah sees that he never was able to escape from the Lord's hands. That's the first thing that we learn here, that Jonah learned. Secondly, we take notice that the thing Jonah so so previously so desperately wanted, which again was to flee from the presence of the Lord, now has become the very thing that he laments. And so we see in verse 4 where he says, I am driven from your sight. He's lamenting over that reality when again in the first chapter, that's the very reality that he wanted. As I've been saying, God has a way of changing our hearts. And so Jonah considers being away from God's sight as difficult for him as all the other circumstances that he has been experiencing. You'll also notice in verse 4, that is, it is the hope of being restored once more to the Lord's presence. He says in verse 4, yet again I shall look upon your holy temple. 
that it's the hope of being restored to God's presence that revitalizes Jonah, even in the midst of the difficult circumstances that he finds himself. We're learning so much about what he is learning. Verse 6, notice his words there. He says, you have brought up my life from the pit. Again, he prays this prayer from the place that many of us would describe as the pit, the belly of, the, of this particular fish. Yet Jonah says, you brought up my life from the pit. And so the belly of the whale is not the pit that Jonah is talking about. The pit that Jonah is speaking of is not the belly of this great fish, but rather it's being driven from the presence of the Lord. And Jonah has learned that that is a far deeper and far darker pit than he previously could have ever imagined. And he wants nothing to do with it. And so he cries out his prayer to the Lord, and the Lord hears his prayer. Jonah is learning so much about himself and the Lord until finally we see, it says, with his life fainting away, verse 7, with his life fainting away and seemingly face-to-face with eternity, it says that he remembers the Lord and he makes his prayer unto him. Verse 7 says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And what did he remember? Verse 8 tells us. Verse 8 says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. What did Jonah remember? Jonah remembered God's steadfast love, the steadfast love of the Lord. Other versions translate that as mercy. Jonah remembered God's mercy and in more uh, specifically, he remembered the hope that he had in God's mercy. Again, look at verse 8. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols, they forsake their hope of steadfast love that the believer in Jehovah actually can have. And Jonah remembers this. And so from the depths of his circumstances, Jonah remembers the mercy, the steadfast love of the Lord. And that despite the fact that he was completely undeserving of those mercies, that he can take hope in the fact that God will nevertheless show him mercy. Jonah here is finally beginning to understand, or perhaps he learned this a long time ago, and he's finally remembering what he previously knew, but he's finally beginning to understand just exactly what mercy is and how even the most righteous, quote-unquote, among us, as he probably thought himself was in comparison to the Assyrians, but even how the most righteous among us are desperately in need of God's mercy. Jonah discovers that. Jonah discovers how desperately he is in need of God's mercy. Jonah has come to discover what Jeremiah the prophet would write in another place. A wonderful verse, Jeremiah said, the steadfast love of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I will have hope in him. And so from the depths of the belly of this great fish, Jonah remembers the hope of God's mercy. And he cries out to God for that mercy. And then as we see in verse 9, he he gives thanks to the Lord for having received that mercy. Verse 9 says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He gives thanks 
to God for the mercy he received, and at the same time he commits his way to the Lord, even though he doesn't necessarily know and have all the details as to what that way is, is going to look like. The rest of his life could be dying in this whale eventually. That could be the rest of his life, but he committed that to the Lord. The rest of his life could be being vomited out by this particular whale and going and doing what God told him to do. He doesn't know, but whatever it is, he commits his way to the Lord. Essentially what Jonah says is, Lord, whatever happens to me is in your hands. Take me where you want to take me. Do with me what you want to do with me. Send me wherever it is that you want to send me. Jonah says, Lord, I am yours. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. I think this prayer is the truly great miracle of these opening two chapters. Because this prayer shows that though Jonah, who because of his sin had sunk into the very depths of misery, he was nevertheless able to find the mercy of God even in that misery. Jonah had forsaken the Lord, but the Lord had not forsaken Jonah. And that, my friends, is perhaps the most beautiful message that every one of us needs to understand. That despite Jonah's hard-hearted, rebellious heart, the Lord did not give up on him. And that he still had a plan to use him in the lives of other people. Now as we say that, I wonder, is that a message that you've ever needed to hear in your life? Is it a message that you currently need to hear in your life? I'll remind you, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and his mercies never come to an end. And that is the hope of the child of God. Every one of us that are watching this, we desperately need that mercy in our lives. And not only that, but we desperately need to be dispensers of that mercy in the lives of others that are around us. Jonah is just beginning to learn these lessons, first for himself, and then he'll need to learn it for those that are outside of himself. And there's a temptation as a believer to become hardened toward other people as Jonah became hardened toward the people of the city of Nineveh. Perhaps they've wronged us. Perhaps they've wronged so many other people, not even us necessarily directly. We just simply observed their wickedness. And what begins happening is the temptation develops within us to become harsh toward that person or those people, or to become judgmental toward that person, or again, toward those people. The temptation develops within us to begin to long for them to get theirs. I just can't wait until they get theirs. Well, if that resonates with your heart, if that sort of sounds like words that you've said or things that maybe you have thought, then I want to encourage you, if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you, give that heart attitude over to the Lord. Because the only place an attitude like that, a heart attitude like that leads to is a hard heart, which will soon develop into a rebellious heart. And that, as Jonah discovered, is a painful place to be. None of us watching this need to come to that place in our lives. God has given us his word. He's given us his word so he can guide us, so he can direct us, so he can correct us, so he can train us. And so if you, have, if you find yourself becoming a bit like Jonah, hard-hearted, rebellious, judgmental, Learn from the hard lessons that he went through. Confess those attitudes as sin and cry out once more for God's mercy to overtake your heart and your mind. 
Don't let the problem compound and go on until you yourself have to go through these difficult type storms for God to teach you. Learn the lesson from Jonah. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, that, for a lot of us, that's hard. It's hard for us to learn the lesson from someone else. It, we feel almost like we need to go through it ourselves in order to really understand it. But Lord, you give us your word for a purpose. You give us all of these narratives, these accounts of other people's lives and the things that they went through and the things they had to deal with and the way they had to be taught by you. You've given them to us to read and to consider, and, and I believe you've given them to us so that we can learn from them. And so, Father, I pray for each one of us that are watching, and particularly any of us that might really be struggling today with some of these hard attitudes. We're embittered toward another person. We're judgmental of another. We're angry toward another, and we want to see them get theirs. Lord, I pray that you would really just bring a conviction of your spirit upon us to give it over to you, to be done with it, like the prodigal, to come to our senses and say, this thing isn't doing me any good and remove it, so to speak, from our heart and to lay it down at your altar. Do that work within us. And, and Lord, for others of us that are watching and maybe we're in a great place, Lord, I pray that you would use this message sort of to be filed away into our heart and into our mind. And you would bring these things to remembrance the next time we find ourselves drifting from your love and your mercy. And so bless your word in each of our hearts we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to finish up our time with a time of worship. And then I'm going to come back, and I'm just going to encourage you one more time uh, in the things of the Lord and send you on your way. Let's worship together.